This is Karen Drennan. I'm the Associate Dean for Communications and Strategic Initiatives for SMU Meadows School of the Arts. And I'm here with Zani Voss, the Director of SMU Data Arts and Professor of Arts Administration for SMU Meadows School of the Arts and Cox School of Business and former chair of the Division of Arts Management and Arts Entrepreneurship in Meadows School of the Arts. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Karen. I have several questions for you, but want to start with, just tell us a little bit about your background. You grew up in New Orleans and studied theater. Tell us what got you interested in the theater. I was incredibly shy as a child, painfully shy. And I remember going from elementary school to high school. In the first week, there were auditions for a play. And thinking, I'm not bold enough to be myself in front of other people, but gosh, if I could do theater, then I could hide behind a role, and that would be okay. And that's really what got me started in it, and immediately became completely enthralled with theater. And I uh, never regret the leaping off the cliff and auditioning, rather than just staying in my shell. That's wonderful. So you went on to study theater as an undergraduate student. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, in high school, in, in New Orleans, there's a, a high school for the arts called New Orleans Center for Creative Arts, NOCA. And I went to my regular high school during the day and went to NOCA for theater in the afternoon. And it was an amazing experience to have that concentrated sense of training to complement a regular education. When I went to college, I decided I wanted to study theater. And uh, Partway into my sophomore year, I met the guy who I've been married to now for 34 years. So left school with him, went with him to Cornell while he got his graduate degree, went to Louisiana Tech. And at Louisiana Tech, there was a teacher, Katie Robinson, who was fantastic, who introduced me to directing. So the ability to go from just creating for a role to wanting to create for an entire production seemed something that was really exciting to me. So uh, the ability to start looking at what are the other opportunities within the world of theater that could be equally fulfilling from a creative standpoint. You know, at that young age, you're still trying to figure out where does your your passion lie that fits with where, where your career might take you. That's so interesting. I can imagine a trajectory of you from actor to director and then eventually to the management side of the house. Tell us a little bit about that pathway into management. Sure. When I left Louisiana Tech, we moved to Los Angeles, and I was fortunate enough to get a position in audience development at the Mark Taper Forum, part of Center Theater Group, which is one of the biggest nonprofit professional theater companies in, in the country, and had a wonderful group of colleagues there. And my day job was audience development, but I was directing in Equity Waiver, kind of small 99-seat theater in the evening, and really enjoying directing. But after a while, I remember going to work one day, and it, the thought struck me of, well, instead of just creating for a production, wouldn't it be great to create for an entire organization to decide what got produced and what kind of work would resonate with what kind of audiences? And being all of my 24-year-old self at the time, <laughs> went to the guy, uh, Steve Albert, who was then the, the managing director of the taper, and thought, well, you know, how do I get your job one day? And he said, what do you know about running a business? I said, absolutely nothing. So he said, well, then you need to go get an MBA because if you're going to run an arts organization well, you need to understand how to run any business well. You just have to also understand the industry. And that really kind of inspired me to say what's going to be a next step if staying within this profession but 
exercising my creative interests on just a different level would be something that I would be interested in, in following. So it was thanks to Steve. That's great. So you went on to A&M to get your MBA. Which does not seem like the most logical place for someone going into arts management. Well, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like being the theater kid <laughs> at A&M? At A&M. Uh, at first, I felt like a fish out of water. And I use that experience so often in working with the MA-MBA students here at SMU because many of them are coming from an arts background and getting into a program where they're going to be in class with the rest of the MBA cohort. And I remember that feeling of um, insecurity, self-doubt, kind of the imposter syndrome. And then you realize after a few weeks that you were admitted because you were capable and you're as capable as your colleagues are. And after a while, you're sought after as a group member because you have something to offer that's coming from a different perspective than others in your group may, who may all be from an engineering background or from a business undergraduate background. Uh, and you learn a lot in that process uh, about staying within yourself, of the courage of your conviction, that your way through to a solution is equally as valid as anybody else's. Uh, you know, it's a kind of environment where I think a lot of the theater training actually kind of came in handy of saying, even if I'm timid to raise my hand in doing this, it, this is something that has to happen. So it was a, a, a wonderful experience of learning how to lean forward. And at the same time, between the first and second year at A&M, the guy, Steve Albert, who had offered me the, the advice at the Mark Taper Forum, wound up taking over as executive director at the Alley Theater in Houston and asked if I would come and spend my summer internship with him at the Alley. Uh, so I could have never foreseen that kind of opportunity, but it played in so nicely to me then being able to see how everything I was learning in business school classes, which were nothing related you know, to arts and culture as a content, were also applicable to what I was seeing within the organization. So from your work post-graduate, when did you decide to make the switch to teaching and what precipitated that? <laughs> it was kind of a, I backed into it. <laughs> <laughs> when I left a and I took a position as associate director of the Alley Theater for two years under uh, kind of working with Steve. And from there, I had been offered a position as managing director of Playmakers Repertory Company which is a, a Lorty theater company on the campus of uh, UNC Chapel Hill. And you know, it does incorporate grad students into the productions, but it's also professional artists. Uh, and as part of that appointment, it came with a tenure track faculty position. And gee, all of a sudden I found myself in a position where I, not only did I have to teach, I had to figure out what was going to be this thing te called tenure. Uh, fortunately, I had at least been able to witness, my husband got his PhD in marketing at Texas A&M, was going into academia, so I had a sense of what happened in that world and what it was going to be about. I don't think I've ever been as terrified in my life as that first day of teaching, of realizing it'll take five minutes before they realize that I don't know what I'm doing here <laughs> <laughs> in terms of teaching, but they had a, a terrific... Uh, mentoring system at UNC, uh, a teaching center where I got to realize what would be a path forward for improving and 
really grew to thoroughly enjoy the teaching aspects of it. Uh, it, it was not something that I sought out, but uh, sometimes you don't always have the opportunity to foresee all of the opportunities that will present themselves in life. And just realizing when something really clicks for you, how important that that can be for determining your future. Well, we're grateful it worked out that way because <laughs> you ended up here in 2007. So tell us what made you decide to come to SMU. A persuasive Jose Bowen, who was then <laughs> dean of the Meadow <laughs> School of the Arts, in part. Um, for 11 years, I was on the faculty at Duke University after leaving UNC. And there, I part of my job was on the faculty in the theater studies program. Um, it taught about producing theater. It was another appointment in the Fuqua School of Business. So, you know, at, at Duke, there was no focus on arts management, but I had the opportunity also to produce professional theater and wound up sending a couple of shows to Broadway and was really having a wonderful time. I, I got contacted by Jose about the position here at SMU, and I thought, I'm not leaving Duke. I've never been to Dallas. I'm, I'm not interested. He said, just come out and talk. And to come to a university where there was a, not only the arts within a larger college of arts and sciences, but a school of the arts, where I thought, okay, never again will I have to make the argument for why are the arts important. But then to find that there's you know, the arts management MA MBA program, which tapped into my very narrow niche of, of passion and expertise, uh, you know, I thought, well, there are few places where I'd be able to feel like what I did is really valued at a high level at the university. Uh, and I'll never forget Jose saying, just have big ideas and come back and tell me what those are, and I'll find the resources to make them happen. And on the plane ride home, I thought, I will probably never in my life have another offer like that. Uh, so really, we were fortunate in that SMU also was very interested in hiring my husband into the Cox School of Business's marketing department. Uh, so it was a really quick decision, and it was really the right decision. Well, you lived up to the big ideas, <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about a few of those. Um, tell us, what was the impetus for starting the uh, Master's of Management in International Arts Management? That started um, in part because of, it, it actually before I started at SMU, uh, that summer, I, I for many years have been part of the International Association of Arts uh, and Cultural Management Research Group, IMAC, and was at a conference in Valencia, Spain, and talking with a colleague who's at Bocconi University, um, Severino Savmini. And we were on a napkin saying, well, if we did an exchange program between this, what would that look like? And I thought, well, I'm not even there yet, Severino. Wait till I get there. He goes, I just, let's keep exploring this idea. So I got back to the hotel, and I sent an email to Jose. I hadn't even started yet at SMU. And I uh, sent the email saying, here's this idea. And he sent me a, a one word email back and just said, yippee, with three exclamation points. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I'm gonna love working for a dean who says yippee. <laughs> uh, but because of that exchange program with, uh, with Bocconi, and just realized that in some way, my own personal biases of what I've learned by being able to work and teach internationally about seeing alternative ways that the arts can be produced, marketed, valued in society, that that was something that I wanted to be able to impart on a next generation of leaders, even if they decided not to work internationally, 
they should at least think about alternative frameworks. Uh, and then Francois Colbert, a colleague from HEC Montreal. Uh, Francois, we were going to put ourselves forward to host the IMAC conference uh, here at SMU in 2009. So Francois came down to check out Dallas, to look at us as a candidate for hosting that conference. And Francois got off the, the plane and got in my car and he said, I kind of have a crazy idea. Uh, and he told me, he was like, what if we did a joint masters? And I said, well, let's, what if we invited Bocconi to join us also? Because we each have sort of different uh, areas of expertise in terms of strength in coursework and in faculty. Uh, and instead of having students just learn about how things are done in another country, actually have to get up and move to each different country uh, every semester in order to adapt, to learn uh, how things could be done differently, to have the international experience themselves if they want to work internationally and become more adept and flexible. Uh, and we got back to campus and uh, I was going to introduce uh, Francois to Jose anyhow, so we sat down in his office and said, we just had this idea in the car for a degree program, and Jose said, let's do it. And a couple of years later, after going through the Sachs review process and having to get Sachs to change some rules, uh, you know, everybody here has been incredibly supportive and patient. You know, it's a place where, uh, true to form, if you have ideas and are willing to work through the things that have to get worked through, then, uh, and don't give up hope, it will happen. Tell us about starting the Arts Entrepreneurship Program. It, arts Entrepreneurship was an area where we really didn't have any offerings at that time at the undergraduate level. Uh, you know, the, the department's offerings were only for the MAMBA students and then, uh, you know, starting with the MMIAM. And, you know, Jose felt strongly that we needed to find a way to be able to enrich the future careers of undergraduate students, knowing that most of them really wanted to only have a career within their arts discipline. Uh, and I thought, well, if we're going to do this, then we need to make sure that the, they're getting the business foundation that they need, that if we're going to launch something for individual students who don't want to go out necessarily and work in an arts organization, they want to be artists. They want to be entrepreneurial that what we needed to do, true to form, was to have coursework that helped them to understand uh, what is it that they needed to know if they wanted to go out and have a stable business of their own, but also be able to communicate with whether it's on a nonprofit basis if they wanted to start a nonprofit or with investors if it's on a for-profit basis. You know, how do they communicate the stability of their long-term plans? and manage their finances in a way that are going to make them sustainable. Uh, so we decided to do it as a minor instead of a major with the understanding that we really wanted this to be something that would be attractive to all undergraduates within the Meadows School of the Arts. And we were fortunate to be able to hire Jim Hart, and he's been spearheading the program ever since. The enterprising spirit is alive and well at SMU. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so next from the big ideas. <laughs> category. Tell us about founding the National Center for Arts Research and what led you to that idea and that work. 
Uh, National Center for Arts Research. Um, so for, uh, since 1998, uh, Glenn and I had been co-authoring research. And what we would do is every year have data from Theater Communications Group, um, all of the uh, responses to their annual fiscal and attendance survey. And we would, we and still do, provide an annual report back to the field called Theater Facts uh, in conjunction with TCG that looks at trends. Uh, we learned a lot over time about what were some of the pressures being felt within the, the theater industry and we're always curious about whether other arts and cultural sectors were experiencing similar pressures or was it something unique to theater. But there wasn't good data out, out there that was on a cross-sector basis. Uh, we're also interested in, in bigger picture theoretical questions. Um, you know, we would take the TCG data and then ask some additional perceptual questions or attitudinal questions and then you know, turn that into academic publications. Pew Foundation had started the Cultural Data Project um, around in earnest around 2005-2006. And that was an effort whereby funders, grant makers, would require uh, prospective grantees to complete a survey about their financial operating attendance data in order to get funding. Uh, because of that, a really interesting business model, they were starting to collect on a growing national scale data about all arts and cultural sectors. Uh, and as they were looking to move into Texas, I got on a call with them and had done a consulting project for them back in Philadelphia. Uh, they said, you know, it'd be interesting if someday some researchers were interested in looking at this data. Uh, and so we were kind of thinking about that. Uh, and then Rick Lester, who had founded the consulting firm TRG Arts in Colorado, who's a, a good friend, um, who's since passed away, Rick was, I got him to start teaching for us here in, in the Mamba program, a, a course in arts marketing. And we were talking and he said, you know, I've got millions of households worth of arts consumption data, but we're consultants. You know, we're there to get paid to consult for an individual organization. It'd be really cool if some researchers <coughs> wanted to look at it sometime. Uh, and so th that's really kind of how NCAR was born. You know, Glenn and I decided that to take on that much data, that big of a project, and to do it justice, that this had to be something that, that was bigger than just the, the research between the two of us as co-authors, that it would take a larger sense of institutional buy-in. We needed to involve more colleagues. Uh, we, we knew we would need more support. Uh, you know, thankfully, um, not only was Jose completely on board uh, in the Cox School of Business going to talk to Bill Dillon about you know, if we were to do this, would this make sense? Uh, and Bill's the kind of person where you go to him and the first question he has is, so tell me what you need. Uh, you know, real open, supportive stance. So knowing that we had both the support of you know, Dean's office in Cox and in uh, Meadows, so let's see if we can raise three years worth of operating funding before really jumping into this because it's gonna be a ton of work at the startup to get the thing established. Uh, and we did. And when I say we, it's not just uh, you know, Glenn and I. It was a wonderful group of individual supporters. Um, Chris Vetter, who, who was there, you were there at the time. 
uh, it was a real big joint effort to, to launch it. Uh, we had on board with us Rick Breisch, who was a professor in marketing, uh, had the office next to Glenn's. Um, brilliant marketing and econometrician um, expert helped us really think through some of the initial issues. Uh, unfortunately, Rick passed it away last year, and we still are incredibly indebted to him for helping us think through uh, how do you approach really getting to a level playing field in understanding organizational health. That you can't just control for one thing at a time. You have to take into account all of the organization's characteristics, all of the community's characteristics, um, before you can start assessing whether an organization is exceeding expectations or not. And how difficult was it to come up with the name National Center for <laughs> Arts Research? <laughs> <laughs> it took a village. <laughs> Uh, so before we started, um, I believe at the time it was one of the Meadows executive board members, Frank Arubi, we had done kind of a, a, a presentation about the thought of an idea for the center. And he had with him in the audience Chris Milliken from Boston Consulting Group. And Chris followed up and said, is there some way that I can help? Is there anything uh, we could, way we could be involved with this? So before launching, Boston Consulting Group, uh, Chris and his team, did some field research for us. Uh, talked with arts and cultural organization leaders, talked with some of our major donors, talked with people around the university, and talked with others who were already doing research in arts and culture to make sure that if we were going to do this, we didn't replicate the work of, you know, what, would, what could we offer that would be really distinctive? Uh, and as part of that exercise, finding our mission, finding uh, what would our positioning be? Where could we make the biggest contribution? Was finding what is our name going to be? And of course, I have this bad habit of wanting names that are comprehensive descriptors of everything that we want to accomplish. <laughs> <laughs> so we whittled it down. Uh, let's see if I can remember. Uh, Center for the Advancement of Arts Management and Arts Marketing Research would have been Camerammer, I believe. <laughs> <And> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> got talked down to National Center for Arts Research, which, uh, you know, acronym being NCAR. And I still hear people referring to us as NCAR, which is perfectly fine. Some people still called us NASCAR after a while. Uh, but I'm glad that cooler heads prevailed and talked me out of it. <laughs> Cam Ammer. Cam Ammer. <laughs> That's great. So in 2018, NCAR merged with Data Arts. Tell us about that merger and what brought that about. What brought it about in part was, uh, you know, here were two entities that had quite similar missions. We realized them very different. You know, they were implemented quite differently. Um, I was sitting on the board of Data Arts, which by this point had separated from Pew Charitable Trusts and was its own 501c3. And NCAR was growing in terms of the amount of data we had, how, how much we had integrated to get a better picture of the entire arts and cultural ecosystem. Fortunately, we had another round of kind of strategic check-in from Boston Consulting Group, from Chris and, and Ketu Shaw. And as part of that, looking for, well, where do we take it from here? And some of the things on our future menu would have been 
you know, things like, should we start considering offering online coursework in management? We can tell where problem areas lie. We're a university, we have faculty, how could we help disseminate for the field ways that you can start turning that around, even understanding better things like data literacy. Should we get into our own data collection? Are there areas that uh, we'd like to get information about that we currently don't control? In a parallel universe, data arts was going through a process of questioning whether it wanted to get more into doing research. It had all of this data. Uh, so we are kind of like peanut butter and chocolate. You know, it just seemed like we were so close to one another and such great compliments uh, that when the current executive director um, at the time, Beth Tuttle, announced that she was uh, going to be stepping down, Rich Mintz and Glenn Howard, the, the current and previous board chairs at Data Arts, wanted to take a moment and just decide going forward would be best just to hire another executive director or was there another entity out there that we should partner with in a, in a closer way? So we were one of three different entities that they spoke with. And you know, I've mentioned uh, Jose Bowen, to his credit, Sam Holland, uh, the current dean of Meta School of the Arts, who's been incredibly supportive of our work all along. And I owe a, a huge debt of gratitude to him. Uh, I said, this is something that's possible. We've gotten a call about it what do you think? And he said, let's talk to the provost, Steve Corral, and see what he thinks, but I'm all for it. And Steve was all for it and gave us the green flag to move forward with, um, with discussions. And it was a, a rigorous process. There was an incredible amount of due diligence, and in hindsight, I'm really grateful for it because it made us think through what would be the best way to do this if we're going to do it? And it also meant that um, you know you can be really in love with the idea of what something might be. It's exciting to think about doing a merger. You know the reality of it is it's like a marriage. After you say I do, great. The wedding's fine. The party's great. Are you really want to live together afterwards, day in and day out? Um, and that process made us think through how we were going to do that. And as time went on, I think we all just became increasingly excited by what the future could hold, by having the combined capacities and talents and capabilities of, of both organizations. It's a fabulous team in Philadelphia. Um, I couldn't hope for you know better colleagues uh, under the, the leadership there of Aaron Sullivan, who's a deputy director, and an amazing campus community from President Turner on down who have gone to bat for us in so many ways to make this possible. I second to that notion of how terrific the team is in Philadelphia. Yeah, They're wonderful. wonderful. Tell us about your goals for SMU Data Arts. My goals are to try and help the field of arts and cultural organizations in the U.S. become healthier. Uh, you know, I'd like for them to have more resources to do their great art. You have deeper and better connections with their community. You know, when we can stop and pull back and look at the data and see what is health and what drives it, and because it's a nonprofit sector, health isn't defined in you know one-size-fits-all manner. There are multiple ways that you can look at, at health. Uh, stopping to take a moment to say, you know, given your organization's mission, 
what are what are important ways that you want to move the dial and how are you doing currently you know what is your benchmark and what are things that we can teach you out of your own data to help you make better decisions uh, and if you're making good decisions now how do we help to institutionalize them so that you're stable in the long term so it's about looking at data and the evidence that's there from that generating knowledge generating insights and then being able to take that knowledge which is kind of nice to know about trends in the field and saying how do we personalize it in kind of a mass customized way to the people running the organization so we're taking their own data and kind of taking them by the hand and saying here's something that you can learn about your organization that perhaps you you may not have known before or in now we're moving into not just your organization but about your market we're able to provide kind of customized market knowledge on a larger scale to organizations so you know when i think about what is my vision i think of it um it was like when i was running the the mamba program i, I kept thinking what a joy and a, a responsibility to say if i'm successful it means that five years from now there will be fulfilled individuals running successful organizations around the country uh, in, with data arts it's a similar thing that if we've done our job well you know it's not about reaching certain revenue goals or increasing number of uh, you know, survey participants you know all of that's well and good but to really get to mission we have to help arts and cultural leaders overcome challenges and increase impact and if we haven't done that then we failed so in your spare time if there is any <laughs> what do you like to do Sonny? I enjoy uh, a lot of sports um, I'm a runner I'm a swimmer uh, I like cycling I like rock climbing uh, I've gone uh, skydiving um, <laughs> I learned for the first time this past weekend how to do stand-up paddle paddle boarding oh, yeah. uh, I, I love the sense of immediacy of being out in nature and being able to focus on something that's not work-related for a little while uh, but I think like all creative activity you can focus so intensely on a problem and it's not until you stop and get into another activity that your subconscious starts really processing things so sometimes even you know while I'm out for a long run ideas and solutions to problems will come to me in ways that I, I can't achieve if I'm just always right in front of the computer uh, you know when I have time I like being able to travel just for pleasure rather than for work uh, and the pleasure of good company and good friends and good family as if the MBA and the PhD weren't enough you had to add ship captain's license <laughs> <laughs> in France <laughs> to your list of credentials tell us about the process for getting that <laughs> um, unlike in the United States in France if you want to drive a boat you need to get a license a driver's license uh, and so last summer I uh, decided I wanted to get my French boat captain's license uh, and like my doctorate that means if you're gonna do it over there you have to do it in French so it really pushes your uh, vocabulary <laughs> in ways that you may not have imagined uh, 
But what it is is just a, a, a liberty of appreciating a, an area and a part of the world that I really love um, in a way that is from a different perspective, so off the coast instead of being on the coast. But it's also something that's really quiet and private and you can share with people close to you. You know, we always have a, a saying that what what says on what said on the boat stays on the boat. It's a quiet place where you can get out and have long talks with people and swim and just relax. Beautiful. Your role requires a substantial amount of travel. Mm -hmm. Tell us where that takes you and what you're doing when you're in these various destinations. Most of my travel these days, uh, because we have two-thirds of our staff who are still located in Philadelphia, uh, is you know, to spend time in Philadelphia. Um, New York, let's see, this week it's here and then Miami and then New York. Um, I've been this past year probably to 25 to 30 different destinations around the country. Most of the time when I go, it's to either do a presentation to some gathering of people who are running arts and cultural organizations to share information about our findings, help them to understand what, what tools are available to them. Uh, frequently, the meetings also involve meeting with grant makers, whether it's private foundations or you know government funders, to try and listen, I think in both cases, some of the great joy of the travel that I've done uh, this past year has been about listening to what kind of impact do they want to have on their community, and then to be able to step back and think about and what data do I have that can help them to advance that impact. Uh, you know that I, I don't want to just think of us as as a vendor or a research consultant. We really are a thought partner, and that enriches our understanding of the field. But hopefully, it also provides a considerable amount of value to them. And that, of course, is going to vary from community to community and grant, made a grant maker. But I've had a, a fabulous time meeting people from all over the country. Um, when you start hearing threads in the needs or in the conversations, you know, that's when I come back and start thinking about what do we need to develop that could be useful to a good number of people who are out in their organizations um, that we hadn't considered right now. And so there's a lot of different irons in the fire that we have right now that are kind of an outgrowth of those conversations. And I feel like because of the talents of the Combined Entities team, the talents from around campus, the research fellows that we work with, um, Karen Brooks Hopkins is our uh, National Hamasecker Fellow. There are so many creative minds helping to think through what kind of impact can we have on the field. Uh, it's nice to be in a position to feel like you can do something about it. What would you say are some of the accomplishments you are most proud of during your time at SMU? I think the accomplishment that I'm most proud of at SMU uh, has been the generation of the 10 years that I was chair of the MAMBA program and you know, the Arts Management and Arts Entrepreneurship Division, the MMIAM students. Um, a sense of, of accomplishment in feeling like I helped to prepare a next generation of leaders, uh, not only from an intellectual content perspective, but hopefully having some influence on character, the way you manage people, the way you work with a team uh, in ways that was meaningful to them. 
Uh, I couldn't even begin to start you know, down the list of students that uh, I continue to keep in touch with who are now running their own organizations or doing some uh, you know, consulting of their own uh, and helping to see if I can still be a resource to them in some way. You know, it's the whole pay it forward. There were so many people that had an incredible influence on on my career and helping me to accomplish what I have accomplished. Uh, you know, that debt of gratitude is something that I hope all of them at some point in time are able to do for somebody else. Um, I'm really proud to be at SMU, and I, I don't say that uh, in an offhanded way. I mean sincerely that there are a few institutions anywhere that would invest the amount of trust, um, resources, uh, uh, allowment for risk-taking that I've been able to have here at SMU. It's a great sandbox. Um, and even the times where I'm not physically present, uh, in th there are international conferences, there are things going on in other parts of the world that I participate in, and wherever I go, I feel this great sense of pride in being able to, to carry SMU's name with me. Tell us about some of your most memorable experiences since you've been here. Memorable experiences here. Um, I think a, a first memorable experience here was early on, uh, organizing the IMET conference. Uh, so this is a conference of about 150 people from around 100 countries. And I was relatively new to SMU and to Dallas. So wanted to make sure that as we're inviting people from around the world, uh, how can we show them the best of arts and culture? You know, this is a conference that has met in, in all of the major capitals and cultural capitals around the world, and I wanted to show Dallas. And in talking with someone, uh, I'm saying, you know, the thing that Dallas is particularly well known for is it's, it's welcome, it's warm welcome, it's charm. And saying that to, to you, to, to Chris, to Jose at the time, and thinking, well, how could this happen? We organized dinners in donors' homes, and many of these donors have incredible art collections themselves. Uh, and we made it so that people from around the world, instead of just coming to Dallas and being in institutions and hotel rooms, were welcomed into people's homes. And I don't know about you, but some of my most memorable experiences internationally have been when I've been invited home. Uh, and to this day, people from that community still talk about the warm sense of hospitality that they had. I, you know, For me, that was a really memorable moment of the campus community, the donor community here, a wonderful amount of Mambas helping to organize that support from Cox, support from Meadows, uh, a feeling like you know, this is a place where stuff can happen. Uh, and it, it turned into a, a really remarkable experience. Uh, other memorable experience, there were so many fabulous colleagues from around campus, some of whom are still here, some are not. And I think in the end, it's really the people that make a difference in terms of whether you want to wake up and come to work in the morning, and this is uh, a place where that happens. Thank you for being one of those people <laughs> that make <laughs> it a wonderful place to come to, and for your time for this interview, and also for everything you've done for the entire arts and cultural sector. We are 
forever indebted to you. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. It's a thrill to be able to share the interview with such a close colleague who's been such an important part of my journey here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.